Hello, I'm Lainey, also known as Electro Girl, and I'm an advocate for empowering people to get back in the driver's seat of their diagnosis. See, I was diagnosed with epilepsy 30 years ago and basically was never satisfied with hearing from a doctor that pharmaceuticals would be the only approach to controlling my seizures. I just wasn't going to take it. Out of my way, mortal. So I committed many, many years to researching and finding an answer outside of the Western medicine approach to find a more holistic approach in managing and treating my epilepsy and the seizures. The Love Your Diagnosis podcast is a show about exactly that. Each week, we will be looking into the life of someone who has been diagnosed with a condition or illness and has succeeded in managing their diagnosis both in and outside of Western medicine. Basically, what put them back in the driver's seat of their diagnosis. So hang around with me while we explore living in and outside the medical square when it comes to loving your diagnosis. Hello, what a fabulous show we've got coming up for you. I'm interviewing a lady called Ginny DeBrant from South Carolina in the USA, a self-confessed health nut who basically uh, was diagnosed with HER2 stage 4 aggressive breast cancer. Her prognosis was basically the usual mastectomy chemo radiation, but she was told it was so aggressive that there wasn't much hope and that it had metastasized into her lymph nodes. She decided because she felt so healthy and she was still exercising regularly, she decided to get a second opinion. That second opinion confirmed that she did, in fact, have breast cancer, but it wasn't metastasizing into her lymph nodes at all. It was just enormous amounts of inflammation. And that put Ginny on a massive journey into basically dissecting all about breast cancer and estrogen and the lymphatic system and how exercise is really important straight after chemo and surgery and about cruciferous vegetables and about acupuncture and also about 15 hormone disrupting chemicals that we get that actually add to cancer. This is a fantastic, fantastic wealth of information from this lady's journey. I highly recommend you take some notes, especially if you or your loved ones are going through something like this. Hope you enjoy it as much as I did. diagnosed with HER2 positive, that's aggressive breast cancer and estrogen fed breast cancer in 2015. It was totally unexpected. It was just four months after my mother had died from from breast cancer. But it actually happened uh, that I found the lump because I had done the Cooper River Bridge run. It's a 10 kilometer walk run that they do in Charleston, South Carolina. And that night after doing that, my ring got tangled in my nightie. And as I woke up trying to free it, I felt the lump. And that was the first shock. I immediately went to my doctor, not expecting it to be anything, not really worried about it, but I went in good faith to do the right thing. And when they told me it was cancer, I was like, you've got to be kidding. 
My mother just died from this. And then the next week, more test results came back, and that's when they told me it was aggressive, growing rapidly out of control. And then a few weeks later, when the MRI results came back, that doctor sat me down, and he told me it was worse than they thought that it looked like it was in my lymph nodes and it spread to other parts of my body. Now, Lainey, when someone tells you you have a stage 4 aggressive cancer, there's no good news in that at all. And my husband and I were just in shock, and that forced us to get on a plane and go get a second opinion. And I would advise anybody who gets a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad diagnosis of any sorts to always get a second opinion. In the United States, insurance pays for that. And so we got on that plane, went to Chicago, met with two surgeons and two radiologists at another cancer hospital. And they told me that what was I was seeing all over my body was not necessarily cancer. They wouldn't know that until later on. It appeared to them to be inflammation. Okay, now I'm going to stop you there because that is enormous in itself because we'll come back to that. It sounds like you had all those tests done. Did your mum just pass away from aggressive cancer as well? It was estrogen-fed breast cancer, but it was not the aggressive cancer. So in your head, you had a picture of what this could turn out for you like? You are right, and it was a nightmare going through that with my mom for my sister and I. So I'm sitting there thinking, I don't even want to go there, (laughs) you know. So between the times that the tests came back and when you got the diagnosis and then decided that you wanted to get a second opinion, what was that period of time like? Because walking out of that office that day, I imagine there would have been this incredible grieving stage that you needed to go through, or did you automatically just go, I'm not accepting that? I paced the floor back and forth because my husband had dropped me off to go do something downtown near the cancer hospital, and he was coming back to pick me up. He didn't realize I was going to get more bad news or he would have been there with me. And so I was pacing back and forth just in disbelief, but I was having to come to grips with it. We immediately called to get that second opinion. That was our way of trying to deal with it was we were taking action. Let's see what another cancer center says because this is too hard to believe. I actually looked at that doctor and I said, I feel fine. I just ran a 10-kilometer run. I don't see how this could possibly be possible. And so he took the MRI, put it on a life-size screen, and flashed it up on the wall. And it looked like a tornado had invaded my body. It was horrifying. So, you know, it was hard to to deny, but I think my husband and I just were in shock for about five days until those two surgeons and two radiologists met with us at that other cancer hospital and said, don't jump off the bridge just yet. We don't know that it's all over your body. We won't know if it's in your lymph nodes until we actually go into the lymph nodes during the surgery. And that kind of calmed me down a little bit, that maybe it wasn't stage four. Because you wanted to find out straight away, was surgery booked in for as soon as possible? Or did the surgeon actually say, all right, we've got to go in immediately and find out what's happening? Surgery was not immediately. They had to do another biopsy because it was true that my tumor had planted another tumor. That was true and they had to see if that tumor was cancer. They also had to install a port 
in my body. So they were doing all these things and it was about a few weeks later that I had the first surgery. The biggest relief was when I had the surgery and they went into the lymph nodes and they told me as soon as I woke up from the surgery, we only had to take two lymph nodes and it appears your lymph nodes are clear. But you don't know until two days later when those lymph nodes are examined under a microscope. But to the eye, they were saying they looked clear. And then when the test results came back a few days later, it was clear. But it was still a battle because I would go through the same chemotherapy and treatments as someone who was stage 4 aggressive. Why is that? Because it was aggressive. And if one dot got into that lymph system and had bypassed it and gotten somewhere, it could take off and spread immediately anywhere in the body. So when you have an aggressive cancer, whether it's triple negative or whether it's aggressive HER2 positive, whether you're stage one, stage two, stage three, or stage four, you get the same treatments. Okay, so the original diagnosis of aggressive cancer, that was actually correct. Oh, that was correct. But the metastasizing part of it, he was all wrong with. Right. That was not correct. That was inflammation that looked like cancer on an MRI. That's why it's important to get a second opinion. Yeah. So even though the news of breast, aggressive breast cancer isn't the greatest news to receive, like at least there was a shining hope there that it wasn't as bad as you had thought. Okay. So we've learned a little bit about Ginny's background and the synchronicity of her getting diagnosed with breast cancer four months after her mum died. What we're about to understand more about Ginny is what made Ginny go on a quest to find out more about the breast cancer. Why wasn't she satisfied with the diagnosis? She had extensive genetic testing before surgery and that showed that she didn't have the risk factors and she didn't have genetic factors. So let's find out a little bit more about what that actually meant for Ginny's journey with this diagnosis of stage four aggressive breast cancer. Now, my question to you is, when your mum got diagnosed with breast cancer, did you think at the time, because you mentioned you had a sister, did you both think to have be checked for the same gene at the time? Actually, we, we didn't because she was 82 years old, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's hereditary. But one thing that held up my surgery was... The doctor sat down with me, Lainey, and they said, there are eight risk factors for the breast cancer you got. They went through every one of those risk factors. I didn't have a one of them. And that made the doctors order extensive genetic testing. And they had to wait for the results to come back to do that surgery because that would determine whether I would need a total mastectomy or whether I could do something a little bit different. And the test came back showing I didn't have one single genetic factor. So I had no risk factors, none, no genetic factors. And Lainey, that's what sent me on a quest to delve into the research, to read books, to interview doctors, to attend medical seminars and cancer conventions to try to find out, number one, what caused my cancer, because I was known as a health nut, and number two, what could I do 
to help my doctors to beat it and to lessen the side effects of all these horrific treatments I was going to have to be given. I would be given chemotherapy and immunotherapy for one year. That's what they wanted to do for you or that's what they did do? That's what they did. That was what was recommended for the aggressive cancer. I followed through with all of that, but I was trying to figure out what I can do to complement what my doctor's doing and then what I can do to lessen the side effects because my doctor later told me, one of the oncologists that I worked with, that my chemo regimen was the worst known to mankind for the longest amount of time. And so you can have major damage done to your body because of that and have side effects that last for a lifetime. And that's what I didn't want. I did not want to be disabled. Did they take off the breasts? The surgeon was able to go in and remove the tumor and the other tumor that was planted and clear all the margins without removing the entire breast. But I went from like a double D down to a B. That's how much tissue I lost. They had to make the other breast match because you can't have one breast huge and one breast half the size. It can throw your body and your back off balance. So I know when people go through chemo, they get, as, as we've discussed and as I know just from talking to other people, you can get very sick. You don't have much energy. Did that happen to you? It did not. I was prepared for all of these side effects of chemotherapy and they didn't happen. Oh yes, I lost every hair on my head after the first chemo. The chemo was so harsh. But they were giving me something to keep my white blood cells up and I was hydrating exercising. I was eating nutrient-dense food. I was getting adequate sleep. I would have to say probably the greatest thing that I did during chemotherapy that helped me from getting all this toxic buildup that can really take you out and make you sick and emaciated and lose energy, I didn't have any of that. That Cooper River Bridge run that I did the year before, I did it the next year during chemotherapy. I was snow skiing during chemotherapy. I was up and about and doing things and happy and laughing and having a great time and traveling. And I didn't let it stop me from living. So how long into that chemo and immunotherapy, how long into the sessions of it did you start to switch around your mindset about it and go and look into other things? Well, it took me a while to realize that I could be a very important part of my own diagnosis and a good prognosis. And when I realized that, of course, yes, like everyone else, I started out the cancer journey with that roller coaster of fear and worry and ups and downs. And when I began to research and found that all that suppresses your immune system, I said, whoa, I've got to get off this roller coaster. So I would go into chemo with positive thoughts. I would go in listening to inspirational music or watching a movie that was very interesting that would lift my spirits. And that made a difference. I think one of the key things that I did during chemotherapy that wasn't known at the time was I walked two miles before chemo and two miles after chemo. Now, the interesting thing is I did the same thing after the first and second surgery. And it just enhances your recuperation from that surgery and oxygenates your body and pumps the anesthesia out and prevents blood clots. It did so many good things for me. Here's what's interesting. When I finished all that chemotherapy 
and the doctor said they had rarely seen someone come out with the blood work six weeks after chemotherapy usually your white blood cells are shot your red blood cells you need a blood transfusion your platelets are just hovering and my doctor said you know we've just rarely seen this but all of your levels are back within the normal range within six weeks it usually takes two to five years and what happened was my doctors couldn't quite figure out they knew I was trying hard and they were recommending some things for me to do but what turned out to be a key was when my doctors pointed me to research in your own country and it was by COSA the Clinical Oncological Society of Australia came together with all these different entities to make one position paper on the value of exercise during chemotherapy. And what they found is that one of the best things that prevents cancer to begin with is exercise. It's one of the best things that gets a cancer patient through the journey. It pumps the lymphatic system, which is part of your immune system, to take out the trash in your body and keep the toxins from building up. It was that research in your country that was spread across the world and made doctors realize that chemotherapy is not a time to lay in a chair after, all day afterwards or lay down for the next week. The best thing you can do is move. Yeah, okay, we're learning a little bit more about Ginny. What's coming up next is basically I asked Ginny how hard it was to accept that she had a diagnosis of cancer. I was also intrigued to know what else she did to combat the cancer management herself, what she found out and what she applied herself regarding the estrogen and the chemicals that were now in her body that she found out. Take your paper and pens out. It's really interesting. Because you were a health, you say you're a health nut, that's your quote unquote, which obviously to me means that you, you really cared about what you put into your body and exercise. How hard was it for you to accept that you needed to have chemo? Hmm, it was horrible. I mean, it was hard for me to grasp because it was the one thing in life, Lainey, that I never wanted to have to do to my body. My body is precious to me and I had spent a lot of time taking care of it. But when they said aggressive and I began checking with even integrative and holistic doctors, there were those of them that were saying, you know, that's where things change. If it wasn't aggressive, you might be able to change your lifestyle and do all these holistic therapies and after the surgery you you might be fine but it's aggressive you have to stop that aggressive nature of the cancer and there was an immunotherapy for that so I did what my doctors prescribed all because it was aggressive had my cancer not been aggressive I wouldn't have touched chemo with a 10-foot pole <laughs> and aggressive really means battling against the clock doesn't it Yes, it means that it's growing. It's not growing slowly. It's growing out of control rapidly. And a lot of people, what they'll do is they'll say, okay, I'm not going to do the chemo or the surgery, and I'm going to try to turn this all around naturally and more power to them if they can. But I've seen too many people regret that they didn't at least do the surgery because you remove a huge mass of the cancer 
when you do that, which gives your lifestyle changes a lot less to have to control. So during the chemo, because you said it was a year, during that year, did you do other things other than exercising to try and reverse some of the damage that that chemo was doing for you? Actually, I did. My And my cancer hospital provided this for me. I did vitamin C infusions. I was able to do that um, 24 hours before chemo and 72 hours afterwards. I did that throughout the entire year within those parameters so that my doctors, you know, believed in the vitamin C. I was their first patient at this hospital to use the vitamin C and they were behind me in that but they didn't want me taking it too close to chemo in the event it might interfere with the action of the chemo. But since then I've learned that there are several doctors across the country that are using the vitamin C as an adjunct to the chemo giving it at the same time because it's enhancing the chemo. Vitamin C by itself doesn't kill aggressive cancer, but it does help your body. It helps rebuild your immune system while the chemo's tearing it down. Do you remember how many IUs of the vitamin C that, that they give you each time? It was grams, and you had to start with 25 grams. Intravenously. Intravenously, and then I could go up to 100,000 is where I stopped at, because anything over that is just going to be excreted. Anything else that you adopted to reverse some of the effects of the chemo? I did acupuncture. And the interesting thing is a lot of people do it for neuropathy, but I wasn't having bad neuropathy because I was keeping that lymphatic system moving and doing things to try to prevent that. And I was nurturing my gut during chemotherapy. And if you're nurturing your gut and taking probiotics and protecting that gut and not letting the chemotherapy totally destroy it, then you're going to also be better off. But the acupuncture, what was interesting was the acupuncturist told me, she said, I can't promise you this will keep your red blood cells up. But my chemo regimen was known for at least having one blood transfusion, if not more, because it would knock your red blood cells down, you know, to six. I never got below 10.2 because when I start when I got to 10.2 I went to the acupuncturist and my red blood cells started going up even though I was having chemotherapy. Well, it's great that you've had the lived experience to talk about it and and come out the other end. Once the chemo ended, did they recommend you stay on pharmaceuticals for the rest of your life or did they kind of go, thank you, that was great, hope we never see you again? Well, most hospitals do. They just check you every so often and they kind of send you on about your way. But my hospital recommended certain nutraceuticals that I stay on the rest of my life, things that would lower my estrogen load, like something they call DIM. It's actually made from cruciferous vegetables. And cruciferous vegetables help fight cancer to begin with, and they also help you to metabolize those excess estrogens that can help drive estrogen cancer. But the interesting thing about my journey was we never could figure out what caused my cancer at first, but I kept hunting and pecking and searching and asking for tests to be done. 
And when they tested the toxic chemicals in my body, they found 15 hormone-disrupting chemicals that had come into my body at high levels through my skin, through what I ate, through what I drank, through the air that I breathe, and glyphosate was one of those chemicals. Agent Orange pesticide was one of those chemicals, and they are hormone disruptors. So then my doctors, when they saw those test results, they said, this certainly contributed to your cancer because my estrogen levels were not high before I was diagnosed with estrogen-fed breast cancer. So that was another puzzling thing to the doctors. And so it's really what I've learned is, and now my oncologist says this for sure, and my gynecologist are both concerned about the fact that all women are getting these chemicals on their skin through cosmetics, personal care products, and these things like phylates and parabens, fragrances, get into your bloodstream and circulate, and it drives up your estrogen levels because they mimic estrogen. So what I discovered, not meaning to discover it, is that this may be playing a part in both men and women's breast cancer. Because men are 90% estrogen fed when they get breast cancer. Women are 80% estrogen fed cancers. It's all the Africa links that the men, the men are using to try and impress the ladies. I've never heard of it, but it's never just deodorant. It's, you know, there's things in deodorant that would not be good in America, but it's what we're putting all over our skin. Every, everything we put on our skin goes directly, 60 to 70%, directly into the bloodstream without a liver to filter it out. Okay, so we're going to find out about Ginny's book, Amazing. She's written a book called Unleash Your God-Given Healing, Eight Steps to Prevent and Survive Cancer. It was written with a forward and commentary from an oncologist and medical researcher called Dr. Robert Elliott. So it's actually got the thumbs up by the medical industry, which is amazing. And it has won four awards. And we're going to find out exactly why she wrote it and what it has in it and how many people she's helping with it just through her own experiences and research. Fantastic resource for anyone going through this. All about positive emotions, enhancing the immune system, exercise, and how she totally believes beating cancer is all about enhancing and enabling our immune system. This is a great little section. That's why I wrote the book. I started saying, you know, I don't want to talk about cancer. I just wanted to find out what I should do. And then I started realizing, oh, my goodness, these things I'm learning, people simply don't know. And they need to know so they, they don't have to be in that chair waiting for that woman to come with all those toxic bags to infuse into your body. That was a low point in my life. I had made peace with it. And I had a good attitude about it at that point, but I really don't want anyone to have to do that. And I don't want to have to do it again. So you've written a book called Unleash Your God-Given Healing Patient? Unleash Your God-Given Healing, Eight Steps to Prevent and Survive Cancer. It's what the patient can do to complement what their doctor is doing. Because I teach you to control what your doctor has no control over, your lifestyle habits. And when I looked it up, 
it's fantastic because there's other people doing work around this. What stood out to me on your website when you wrote a little bit about the book is, and I'll quote you, what can I do to help the doctor beat this disease? And, you know, in your little bio about it, it says she challenges, meaning you, she challenges you to change what your doctor has no control over, your lifestyle and health habits. How long did you research the information in your book before you actually published it? Because if this is the message that you're putting out to people, this is fantastic. It's empowering people to, to, to be back in the driver's seat. Right. It was. It took me about three years of research and then it took me a good year to write the book and then a good year to get it published. And the book has been out about a year. So we're, you know, I'm six years from diagnosis. And have you had lots of feedback from people with cancer that it's changed their world? You know, it's interesting. I'm helping uh, three people in New York City right now that one of them followed the book to the T, 75 years old, an aggressive bladder cancer and he's made it all the way through the chemo. Most 75-year-olds couldn't make it through the chemo, but he was doing exactly what I did, and he totally changed his diet. Gluten-free, dairy-free, plants, you know, wild, wild-caught wild fish. I mean, and his attitude was phenomenal. And so far, he has made it through the chemo, through the immunotherapy, and his cancer appears to be gone. Yes, I've had some people say that my book is was a gift to them. They didn't have to do all the research. They just had to read it and then look further if they wanted to look at personally at the research themselves. All the links were there, but they didn't have to go dig it all up. And it's it's written with a simplicity that's easy to understand. I wish the book had been there for me so I didn't have to do all this because I was learning as I went along. So now with what I know, I might have done some things differently. And you were meant to do this. It was meant to fall in your lap. A couple more questions. Can you ever be confident that cancer is never going to come back if you've got it? When it's aggressive, you are never assured that it will not come back. And that's why I've worked so hard to do everything I can to make my chances better that it won't. But to be perfectly honest, I don't worry about it. Because worrying about it's only going to make it come back, you know. I learned so much about how emotions affect our immune system and how the positive emotions like laughing and dancing and singing and spending time with friends, all these things help lift your immune system. And so this idea of worrying every day, am I going to die of cancer? You know, I don't have time to worry about such things. I do have time to put productive steps in action. That's just beautiful. Uh, I'd love to wrap up on that, but I've got one more question. <laughs> I've got one more, more thing for you to share. Firstly, would you say that you love your diagnosis? Well, cancer was a gift for me to help other people and to learn some things that I needed to learn. So in that way, I'm thankful for the diagnosis. But if I could go back and do things differently, I would have much rather not had cancer. That chemotherapy, they say it shortens your life. A lot of people say it doesn't look like it did anything to you, but it does. Those are harsh chemicals, and I wouldn't want anyone to have to put them in their body unless they had to. So I'm on a mission to not only get people through the cancer journey with a better prognosis, but to help people prevent cancer in the first place. I want people to realize that one in two people are getting cancer in this day. And it's estimated by 2030, it'll be one in one. That means everyone will get cancer in their lifetime, some sort of cancer from little 
to medium to big and aggressive. We've got to realize that this is happening and put a plan into place. And that's really a big part of my message. If you're a young mother or if you're a senior citizen, you've got to realize we're all at risk in this day and age. And we've got to put a plan in place along with going to our doctor for scans to try to catch things early. But we've got to be a part of preventing it in the first place. And that is diet, lifestyle. Well, they'll have to read your book to find out what that is. But it is really about prevention. Thank you so much for sharing this story. It's a really positive Lots of great messages, excellent little gold nuggets for people who are either going through it or whose family members are. I will definitely put a link to your book and I'll put a link to where people can contact you if they want to directly talk to you about that. Yes, because I do I do mentor people and I've got about 25 folks right now that I'm working with just to cheer them on through the journey where they can ask me questions. It just helps for them to read the book first and then ask questions because I can't mentor each person in every little thing. It's easier to have the book as a foundation. So do you call yourself a patient mentor or a patient advocate? Patient advocate. Actually, Lainey, the same eight steps in my book help prevent most diseases and even build your immune system against viruses and flus. It's all about the immune system. Disease is all about the immune system. For anyone listening, not just if you've got cancer, and especially this such big talk about the immune system at the moment which is really awesome so it's it's a it's a fabulous byproduct of what's been happening the last couple of years with COVID that people are taking a much more active interest in their immune systems and preventative health than um than ever before which is fantastic Ginny it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for wanting to be on and sharing your story I'm sure there are many people that will appreciate you sharing that with them Thanks for having me and I'm going to bed because it's past my bedtime. (laughs) Thank you so much again and uh, good evening. Good morning. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you would like to donate to the running of this podcast and you can afford a few little bucks a month or whatever it is that you can afford to keep the show going without ads, please hit the PayPal button and if you've got a few loose coins that would really mean a lot to me and other people who are listening to this podcast and getting seeds of inspiration. Also, leave a review on Apple Podcasts because that just means more people will know about it. If you've got a story that you want to share that you've had success with and that you've researched and found some some joy and gold in your own diagnosis, please hit me up. I'm always happy to share anyone's story. The main takeaway message in these podcasts is get second opinions, find a doctor that you really resonate with and research the shit out of what you're going on. Get back in the driver's seat of your health, everyone. You do not need to take one person's opinion about the rest of your life and how to live it. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. I'm Lainey Godiva.